This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramia. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on air community, and everyone's invited. Well, folks, I always have to check these days now. It's a Wednesday, midweek, and hopefully your week has been fantastic. Kelly McDonald here. Ramya Muthan, over there. She's at the studio in Toronto. I'm at the home studio in London. How goes it today? Hello, Kelly. It goes well. How goes it with you? Excellent, excellent. Sitting here with the uh, bay shirt on, gray sports coat and fedora, and really settled back here in front of the, my backdrop of uh, the City of Toronto skyline and the CN Tower. And you're at the uh, main studio over there uh, with our beautiful set. That's right. Uh, sitting as per usual behind the white oblong table in front of me, shaped like a surfboard. Um, and behind me is the curtain with the Toronto skyline. I keep wanting to say the Canada skyline. I don't even know what that would look like, but you know, the Toronto skyline painted on it and with these lit up panels of purple and white. Now, did you say you have a sports coat on? Gray? Yes, yes. Ah, New today, gray sports coat. Yes, we're matching Um, with our, not with the colors, but with when we decide to wear jackets because I'm wearing a a black jacket on top of a top as well. And yesterday, no jacket. Mm -mm. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's yeah. it's nice. It's it's nice to kind of have that variety and for us to be able to kind of play like that. I'm I'm thinking though back to what you said about a map of Canada and I think of the old big weather maps that I could remember yes. as a kid that I had enough vision to see then and they put these different things on it and I loved it being in the morning Canada AM would be on CTV and I'd oh wow and it had all these cool shapes. So uh, I like that and that helped me learn a lot of cities across Canada where people say to me, "How does that kid know about Kitchener, Ontario, mm. if he lives in Montreal. My God. Well, Rum, let's take a look at what we've got on the program today, if we will. Is crying actually good for you? Hmm. We're going to discuss this with reporter Grant Hardy today on his headline segment. Greg David is joining us as well to break down the new and returning TV shows that we have coming up in the next few weeks. Mm, that's going to be very interesting. Some cool things on there to, to know about. Oh, also, folks, half of Canadians plan to look for a new job this year. Wow. Why is that? Well, our friends at Robert Half will let us know later on in Hour 2, right here on Kelly and Ramya. Well, we do a book of the month. We read it and hope that you'll read along with us, folks. It's always a lot of fun. And Ramya, we've had two months to read our current book. Can you fill us in so people know what we're doing? Yeah, that's right. You may not have decided to read this book during the holidays. I don't necessarily blame you if you know the title, Misery by Stephen King. It's not necessarily a holiday read, but anyways, it (laughs) it is an interesting book. It was released uh, just over a decade ago in 2002, and it was recommended to us by an AMI colleague and friend of ours, Jacob Shymansky. So he's going to join us to discuss this book at the end of the month, but we hope you'll read along with us. It is available in human narrated audio on the Center for Equitable Library Access. You can visit selalibrary.ca for that version. Also, it's available on Audible. Misery Chastain was dead. Paul Sheldon had just killed her with relief, with joy. 
Misery had made him rich, and uh, she was the heroine of his string of bestsellers, and now he wanted to get on to some real writing. That's when the car accident happened, and he woke up in pain in a strange bed, but it wasn't a hospital. Annie Wilkes had pulled him from the wreckage, brought him to her remote mountain home, splinted and set his mangled legs. The good news was that Annie was a nurse and has pain-killing drugs. The bad news was that she was Paul's number one fan. And when she found out that Paul, what Paul had done to Misery, she didn't like it. She didn't like it at all. Now he had to bring Misery back to life or else. So this is kind of the synopsis of the book. It leaves a lot because there's so much more to this book. It'll be a reread for myself and Kelly, and we're really looking forward to discussing it on Kelly and Ramia, January 31st, which is the last Tuesday of the month, which is when we have our regular book club meeting. That'll be fun. Uh, thank you, Jacob, too, for the recommendation. And ladies and gentlemen, we always want to hear from you. So uh, we'll stick around. We'll give you our info where you can let us know what maybe you might want to recommend so we can get you on here with us for our book club. But in the meanwhile, enter now for a uh, Temper Pro Adapt mattress. Folks, this is the giveaway that we're uh, doing to launch our program this week. Tempur-Pedic mattresses are designed with one-of-a-kind temper material to precisely adapt to your weight, shape, and temperature, offering unmatched comfort and support. We want you to go ahead and enter. Now, if you want those rules and uh, the complete details on everything of what you're to do, go to ami.ca slash krcontest. Absolutely want you on board with this. We're really excited be to, to have them on board with us to uh, give this wonderful prize away. And hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, you have till uh, February 8th to get in on this. Then the draw will be made. Hopefully that you're that person who will get an opportunity to actually uh, actually win it. Rum, we wish everybody good luck, right? Wish everybody good luck. And we live vicariously and get this mattress vicariously through you because we can't enter. Oh, yeah, and every time we mention it, you know, you got AMI staff up and down saying, Reminder. Hey, how can I? Yeah. Mm, for sure. And I know the term comes out all the time when we do one of these great contests like this. I wonder if there's a loophole somewhere. <laughs> how can I get in on it? Friends and family? And for AMI people, no. yeah, maybe. But I wonder how removed, twice removed or what? Do you, do you stand to be able to qualify for this? Don't know. <laughs> but... To all those who do enter, good luck and uh, looking forward to being able to announce a winner in early February right here on the program. Again, you have until February 8th to get in on this. We're going to step aside for a couple of minutes, folks. Coming up next, is crying actually good for you? Hmm. We're going to discuss it with reporter Grant Hardy when he joins us in his headline segment right in a couple of moments here on Kelly and Rumya. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you on board with us. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, repeats of the program, too. Uh, 10 p.m. And 6 a.m. That bright and early time. I love that time. That's when I get the, the most work done, as long as there's enough coffee. And hey, do you actually uh, remember Rumia. that, or do you do the math every time? No, I remember it. No way. Oh, I yeah. don't remember it. I still can't. Well, you, you, 
And you know what's beautiful? We're on AMI-audio and AMI-TV at the same mm -hmm. time, so that's like, Perfect. just makes it easy. I think when they were putting it together, they said, well, Rami and Kelly, uh, yeah, let's put the, make the times the same. Make it easy um, for them. Have, have you started reading our book? I mean, rereading it, excuse uh, no. me. No, I haven't. No. Oh, I have to wait wow. until the second half, um, especially for rereads, because it'll just... Oh, really? Okay. Yes. Why, though? Because I can't retain it. It ah. won't feel... You know what I mean? Like, you can't remember yeah. the character names, and you keep trying to pull it back from some faraway memory. If I read another book before the book of the month, uh, it's yep. just not a, It's not fresh enough. Uh, will it blend? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, and will you actually in things read from other this together? Books. I know when we're talking and answering questions, it'll all be that kind of like, hey, man, this seems familiar. Uh, do, do you actually reread it or just skip through? No, I'll reread it. Okay. Yeah, all right. for the details. How I'll, about you, though? Because it's been a while since you read. Mine was a recent Yeah, but I've, I've seen the play. Right. I've seen, of course, the movie and the book I've read once, maybe twice on that one accidentally, right? Accidentally. I think I might have gotten it a second time. Couldn't remember if I read it because I never do that. Okay. I wonder if our next guest has actually ventured into reading it. So let's bring in Grant Hardy to talk headline news. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy and welcome to the headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. So uh, do you, if we're talking about a book, Grant Hardy, will you go back and reread it, especially in the case of something like our book club? Oh, dude, I actually, I love reading, but I typically have this bad habit of just rereading stuff that I've already read. So my partner <laughs> will mistake? be like... No. No, 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 man. My partner will be talking to me and it'll be like... Like, what book are you reading? Oh, I'm just rereading this book for, like, the eighth time. Oh, great. How many right. new books have you read this year? New? Um. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> uh, so, got to get out of that habit. I, I tried to explain to Ramya, if she didn't keep rereading Harry Potter, she might actually be able to read 14 books uh, in a year. Wrong person to complain to. Grant is a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grant, that's what happens. I think that's your way of saying, well, I'm really actually just rereading the Harry Potter stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm not good at rereading stuff, especially if it, once I start and I catch on, oh, I've read this, goodbye. Um, sir, you've got headlines for us. We do this on Wednesdays at the beginning of the program. Uh, what, where are we starting today? So we're starting today with uh, an article from Best Health, which is talking all about the science behind tears. Now, we all know there are a variety of tears. We may cry when we chop up onions. We may cry on a high pollen count day. I just shed a bunch of tears when I learned that I'm not eligible for the mattress contest. Right. All that time. Sure you did. Days. I knew it. Uh, yep. You you get the point. Uh, yep. They're all tears, but it turns out they're different. And researchers have identified three main types. There are basal tears. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. B-A-S-A-L, which keep our eyes lubricated and protect the cornea from infection and reflex tears, which we cry in response to physical triggers like smoke, dust, or pungent smells. They make up the majority of the 50 to 100 liters we produce on average every year. Uh, but uh, there's a third grouping called emotional tears, the crying that comes with strong emotions, whether that's deep sadness and grief or extreme happiness and joy. And they may offer the biggest health benefits because they release oxyto 
oxytocin and endogenous opioids, aka endorphins, those feel-good chemicals that help ease both physical and emotional pain. Emotional tears actually contain higher levels of stress hormones than basal or reflex tears, and they also contain more mood-regulating manganese, which is a trace mineral necessary for healthy brain and nerve function. And basically, when you reduce them, your parasympathetic nervous system is also activated, which lowers heart and breathing rates, lowers blood pressure, and restores the body to a state of balance. So essentially, when people complain that others are, you know, people sort of tear shame you by saying you're weak or, you know, whatever, we actually have the science to prove that not only is it natural, it actually makes you stronger to cry. So how do you like that? I love it. Are you guys, are you guys, uh, I mean, oh, this is I'm a crier. I'll tell you I'm a crier <laughs> sometimes. Um, yeah. How about you, Kelly? I'm um, trying to peg oh, you as either a crier or oh, not, I've, but I don't want to make assumptions. Oh, no, I've always been a crier. I, I get that definitely from my parents, you know, watch something and start crying yep. or just just be sad about something, you know, like not, you know, something you feel really bad's going on or, or you know, I try to not always, you know, when you're younger and you internalize everything somebody does that has absolutely zero to do with you, but I wonder why they feel that way, you know, and you, you take it upon yourself or the sympathetic tears, you know, oh my goodness, I feel bad, yes. but you want to be strong when being supportive, right? You don't want to be, you know, someone with a problem and they're simply, you know, they're trying to making you feel better because you're, I'm so mm -hmm. sorry you're in a bad situation. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. Go ahead, Romeo. Oh, empathy makes me cry all the time. All the time. Like, I, I can think of various examples, even on our show, and I don't want to mm. say this too loud, I don't want people to listen to this, but really that, like, subjects have come up. People have shared such vulnerable parts of mm. themselves with us, and I have, you know, broken down either in the moment or later on even just thinking about, you know, how much of an emotional show it was, and I definitely cry. Like, even if it's not always sobbing, I... Tearjerker. Like, everything... Everything makes me want to cry, and uh, I'm more uh, like that on the breaks. I, I you know, yeah. I'm able to hold it together during the show enough, oh, no, but that's on the skill. break or afterward, that's where <laughs> that's you know. And I think I utilize what they're telling us to yeah. focus and where I am and what I'm doing. Now that you know, there's a camera over there. Yeah. You know, and again, mm. going back to there's nothing wrong with crying, right? If you're, you're that kind of person, and I've had people say, well, you and your emotions, you know, mm -hmm. I've had buddies of mine say, good gosh, Kelly. And I, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And thankfully, I was raised that way. Certain movies. Yeah. I don't know about you guys, oh, but certain TV, mm -hmm. I won't even watch with other people because I just know this is going to be a bad one, guys. Like anything with dogs and good dog stories, bad dog stories, cats, like I, I can't. It, it's just so hard to hold it together. I've seen my mom uh, cry over the years, you, too, like you said, Kels, and I think that that's what made it so normal for me. Like, oh, she cries during movies. I will, too. But it's so awkward when you're sobbing because, you know, the dog saved somebody's life and <laughs> nobody a any else. Any movie come it's... to mind? Any movie come to mind, guys? The most recent one I'm thinking of is, like, uh, I think it's called Heartstrings. It's a series by Dolly Parton on Netflix, and every episode is brutal. And also, uh, This Is Us, for bad reasons. Like, it's too emotional. Everyone's going through horrible trauma on that show. I, uh, I think when we were doing AMI at the movies, 
I Am Sam is the one oh, that gosh, I watched yeah. and really struggled. I cried watching that. How about you, Grant? Do you know what? I'm not actually a huge movie person, so I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Uh, but I will say that uh, I do find it really fascinating that, you know, as I've started working on this show in particular, because I think this show is, you know, this this is not hard news. We're kind of a lifestyle mm -hmm. health, maybe a little bit, quote unquote, quote, lighter show. But what's interesting is those vulnerable moments like Ramia says, get shared in a show like this. And I think it's because hard news is unusual. It's unique for being different. But this show really talks about people's sort of everyday yes. and everyday yep. things that people experience. And I think that's why sprinkled in with the laughs and the, and the banter is why we do get some of those powerful and vulnerable moments. Did you I'm find sorry. did you find with ATW the you know, the stories sometimes would get to you and again you're in the field when you were shooting stories out there in Vancouver and then all of a sudden you know you're dealing with something so again probably like the way I feel I can hold it together for a little while but afterward or even when you're researching the story you're like oh my goodness this one's going to be hard yeah absolutely in fact I think part of the evolution of uh, journalism is you know, realizing that it's not about you, you know, when you're in that zone where you're sort of thinking about the logistics of the shoot and the structure of the story and the structure of the mm -hmm. interview and, and yada, yada. But as you kind of move on and become more seasoned, you realize that it really is much more about the guest than it is about me. And mm -hmm. at, at that point, it's, definitely a lot easier to experience uh, those uh, really powerful moments that people op to open up every day to us and share. Well, we're very lucky to have you with us, Grant. Grant, joining our team in the last little while before we made this uh, uh, um, evolution to doing simulcast with TV and AMI-audio, wonderful to have uh, to be working with them and bring that experience from uh, when you were uh, a reporter on AMI this week. Your next piece, sir. Okay, so we've talked about this phenomenon of quiet quitting where people stick with their jobs, but they just do the bare uh, requirements of the role in order to avoid burnout. Mm -hmm. But there's also a phenomenon called quiet firing that can have the oh, opposite boy. effect. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I better I better double check here. No, I think I'm okay. Uh, it's when employers subtly compel staff members to leave their jobs to avoid the messy formalities of having to fire them. So oh. the term can be used in several different contexts. One mm. is where employers basically work, make the workplace such a difficult environment that the employee feels that they have no choice but to leave. So for example, the employee may be overlooked for promotion or their hours may be reduced, or they may uh, simply no longer be scheduled, or their schedule may be reduced. Your boss might say something like, okay, you have to hold a meeting, but then they might micromanage that meeting or mm. uh, uh, kind of undermine you. Um, interestingly, people who work outside of those office jobs, like people uh, who work in uh, restaurants, they are still vulnerable to this because they may be underscheduled. They may be moved to an environment, for example, where you go from receiving lots of tips 
to not receiving right. as many or any tips. Now, there, there are basically a couple approaches here. I'm not a lawyer, of course, to disclaimer, this is just from my research. Uh, but essentially, uh, one kind of quiet firing is where the employer simply becomes disengaged with you, and that may not be actionable. However, if there's a marked change to your responsibilities or your compensation, uh, and you have the tools, possibly the money, we know sometimes it takes money, and you just want to pursue it, it might be worth contacting an employment lawyer just to uh, see what can be done um but that is essentially quiet firing in a nutshell is this um oh. similar to like i used to hear a lot of stuff back in the day about being phased out or is that really just like if you're in leadership and being phased out you know somebody's there to somebody's being uh trained to take over without actually putting anything on paper but you can feel it you know it yeah, I think it's one of those things where um, you're, the goal is to eventually fire you, uh -huh. um, but to do it kind of without that paper trail yes. and without that messy business, uh, which interestingly is another point uh, as well. They say, keep a paper trail, contact HR if you feel like, whoa, you're not utilizing me to my full potential, my responsibilities are changing, this isn't working for me, offer solutions as well, uh, but really keep that paper trail as well. Awesome. Well, Grant, this is great. <laughs> I've been an expert at this. AMI has been you know, hinting and hinting and hinting for 20 some odd years. I just pretend I don't hear anything. And then uh, Grant, how are you joining me? You said it. You said wow. it, not me. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Look at the scramble, eh? No, I wasn't mean. I didn't say it. Let me Take distance me myself cam. from this yeah. guy. <laughs> Grant Hardy with the latest uh, trending headlines. He's our reporter out in Vancouver right here on Kelly and Ramya. We will be Jeez. back in a couple of moments, and it's time to do a little more TV discussion. Greg David, he's going to give us a little chat about the new and all of the returning TV shows that we have to look forward to in the next uh, few weeks, I would say. He's with us. In two minutes, right here Stick on Kelly and, and Ramya. Something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Wherever you're checking us out, folks, from listening in anywhere around the world, maybe at uh, AMI-audio or over there at AMI.ca, or watching us on TV, hi, nice to have you on board with us. Kelly and Rumya here, bringing you through another couple of hours of programming today. Rum, what's on deck? Well, we like to talk TV. We started talking a little TV in the last segment about how much we cry mm -hmm. over TV, but I hope we don't continue with mess. that thread. We'll see. We're talking television with our communication specialist, Greg David, every other week here on the show. I'm Greg David, and I love TV. Join me on Kelly and Ramya, where we talk about the biggest hits, misses, and trends in television and entertainment. I was obviously being sarcastic. Greg, do you cry watching TV? 
Yes, I do. Um, I was laughing when you were talking during the last segment about that because I'm really uh, a sucker for some of the emotional moments in television. Yeah. And you know what's funny is when um, Kara Nye, of course, who's in charge of, of production here at AMI, uh, she shared a video of the countdown of the first episode of Kelly and Ramya from the um, from the view of the you know the broadcast facility, counting down those ten seconds till you guys debuted. And just watching that video, I had a lump in my throat. Oh so my God. that gives you an idea of how easy it is yeah. for me to be emotional no it's great i love when other people share that because i'm the same way you know i'm out here trying not to cry and getting on television <laughs> yeah. right so yeah high five high five well it's nice to have you on this is our first time having you on the show uh, as we move to tv and of course continue to simulcast on ami audio but it's uh, an every other week adventure as we talk television and this time we're talking about um some new and some returning shows back to tv as we go into the new year so the cbc mm-hmm. was the first out of the gate with new season seasons of established TV series. Give us a scoop on this. Yeah, happy to. Uh, the second season of Son of a Critch returned. Nice. Uh, we talked about this show before. It's based on the life of Canadian hum- humorist Mark Critch, and uh, it follows him growing up in St. John's as a, as a kid. Uh, he's he's 11 years old, but he's a lot more mature than that. Uh, he looks he has a, a, a strange and interesting outlook on life. Uh, he uses his comedy and self-deprecation to win friends and to connect with a small collection of people in St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, it really is all about him being a fish out of water. He's into his second year now in high school, so he has made a few friends, but he's definitely on the outs. So that's a Son of a Critch on CBC. Did and you read the, the final... book, by the way? No, I haven't. Uh, you know, it's one of those ones oh, that it's on my book. It's on my oh, book case. Yes, yeah, CBC sent it to me, and I need to read it. And maybe I'll, uh, I'll, we can talk about it um, in an upcoming episode of Audiobook Review. So I definitely, that'll oh. put the pressure on me to read it. Right, you can come um, on I next tell week. You, that is the best. The, <laughs> the audiobook is, he does a great job Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. But Rum, does he do, it is the first year, isn't it? That mainly with the schooling, with the, that yeah. we cover. So this is going to be exciting with the TV doing second year. I mean, he jumps all over the place, but right. our focus as a child is the first year uh, in, in the book. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. And he does a lot more of his childhood days and a lot less of after he gets into high school and uh, post-secondary and theater days. So this is, a, I'm curious about the TV. Oh, perfect. Okay. So yeah, you can check out Son of a Critch on CBC and CBC Gem right now. Um, some of the other shows uh, include the final season of Work and Moms, which kicked off last week. That's created by uh, Catherine Reitman, and it's run for seven seasons on CBC. And it tells the often funny stories of a group of female friends balancing being mothers and having careers. And like I said, uh, both of those shows, Son of a Critch and Work and Moms, air Tuesdays. I guess I didn't say that. They both there Tuesdays on CBC. So those are the two. Um, Run the Burbs is back for a second season. We talked about this when it debuted. It was created by Andrew Fung, who starred on Kim's Convenience. And this one depicts life in the suburbs, uh, complete with oddball neighbors and a loving family that always go big and have each other's back. Um, I believe, I think you checked out Run the Burbs, didn't you, during the first season, Ramya? Mm-mm. I'm a working okay. moms fan, though. 
Okay, That's working. Probably, so yeah. what have you? So have you been watching Working Moms from the very beginning? And if so, Absolutely. what have been your thoughts? So what's your thoughts on the evolution of the show? It's amazing. It's incredible. Catherine Reitman. I've heard like obviously you you feel her her personality. Her she's the star as well, or one of the yep. moms of the show. Um, so you feel her throughout the show. The writing is impeccable. The humor is hilarious. The pacing. It's like everyone is just so good. Um, I'd say each season is unique for its own reasons. Like it's yeah. at the beginning, you're kind of getting to know them still. And then there are seasons where, you know, there's focus on different moms for different uh, situations that they're going through and experiences. But also mm -hmm. as they evolve as friends, you know, how do you keep in touch with each other as all this chaos is going on in your own families? Um, so I, I recommend it. It's very good. Yeah, I, and I love your your analysis and your assessment of the show. I think that you're dead on with that. Um, the uh, the other show that I wanted to mention uh, kick, that kicked off last week was season three of Pretty Hard Cases, and this follows two female detectives in the in their early 40s. Sam is uptight. She's played by Meredith McNeil. She's uptight and she's by the book. And Kelly, uh, who was on Orange Is the New Black, uh, she plays a streetwise narcotics de detective. And the two of them might uh, drive each other crazy, but they also appreciate each other's strengths and now in this third season they're really it's really kind of become a buddy comedy uh the two of them are just great their characters just jump off the screen uh so two uh other uh, you know two other uh worthwhile cbc comedies that you can be checking out pretty hard cases and run the burbs both are available on cbc on wednesdays uh, but if you need to catch up you can check out all of those cbc shows on cbc gem because they're available on the free app so do you have um favorite location that these are you know shot in I, I always used to like that I liked information when I could see a bit more I, I liked what things I could catch that they would show do you have a favorite yeah, for me, it's been working moms. Um, you know, the fun is that they shoot on location a lot. So, you know, Toronto becomes a, kind of the star of the show, although they never really mention Toronto as the city where they're based. Uh, but I always I, I always have a lot of fun, you know, checking out those backgrounds and trying to figure out, oh, they were shooting at U of T that day or, you know, they're they're uh, you know, they're in Bloor West Village today uh, when they were filming those scenes. I, I always like to play that game with myself, figure out where they are in Canada and get excited about it. Nice. Awesome. So one of the most anticipated new series of the winter is a reboot of Night Court. Now, the original sitcom aired in the 1980s. Uh, what can you tell us about this new version? Yeah, I mean, Kelly, I think you would remember must-see TV on Thursday nights, and nights on NBC, and Night Court was, yeah, was part crazy. of that along with the Cosby Show, Family Ties, and Cheers, and then it finished off with Night Court. So this version of Night Court picks up by following Judge Abby Stone. She is the daughter of the late Harry Stone, and she follows in her father's footsteps by becoming a judge, and she presides over, yes, the night shift of a Manhattan arraignment court and tries to bring order to its crew of oddballs and cynics. And an interesting note, that makes me want to tune in and watch it right off the bat is John LaRoquette, who won awards for his character of Dan Fielding. He is back on board for this project, and you can check out the debut of the new and improved Night Court next Tuesday, January the 17th on NBC. Kelly, because you watched the original, I believe, or at least remember it, your thoughts on this reboot? Is it needed? Um, I, I would say... <laughs> No, because I wasn't a fan, but people right. loved it, and I know people will adapt to it. I'm anxious to see, as we fast forward 30 years, how different. What, what yeah. do you do to make it change? Um, 
John Larroquette, like, I mean, people just loved what he was doing as yep. Dan, and every single individual in there had their own persona. I, you know, people would talk about the show, and I just, when it first was, um, well, doing what we're doing now, when I first ever heard the show preview, it was like, are you, are you kidding me? And then yeah. when I'd watch it, it was just, it was more of stuff that I just found for me, yeah, I didn't like that comedy stuff, but people love sitting in front of the TV and laughing at that. And I, I don't know how much was the connection of you started to get all that other court TV with Judge Wapner right. and everybody at the time. I, I think this was that way of you being able to laugh at court in some particular way and these neat characters. And no matter what you're talking about, the, the back and forth so quick anytime you have a group of people like that on a, in a scenario like this. Yeah, absolutely. Greg? We have other reboots coming as well, uh, yeah. reboots of older programs. So the Fox sitcom That 80s Show is back for a new generation, and it's called That 90s Show. So it's yeah. on Netflix. I don't know if they're ever going to end this, but is the original cast back? Let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. The original cast is back, which I think is probably the high point of of this version of the show, that 90s show. Uh, it's the summer of 1995, and Leah Foreman makes friends with a new generation of Point Place kids while visiting her grandparents, Red and Kitty, in Wisconsin. So Kurtwood Smith and Deborah Jo Rupp are back as Red and Kitty, as well as Laura Prepon, Topher Grace, Wilmer Valderrama, and Mila Kunis all back on board for that 90s show. Um, uh, and uh, it debuts Thursday, January the 19th on Netflix. I can't remember if it's, I think it's going to be all the episodes debuting all at once and available on Netflix. Um, but yeah, I mean, as we get into this, you're it, it's a lot of reboots that are taking place right now in winter television. Not sure whether that 80s show needed to be rebooted, but uh, here we are uh, at, with that 90s show kicking off next week. Mm. Are people still claiming that uh, there's not a lot of creativity in television anymore, at least? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's fair. I, you know, we talk about this all the time, the yes. fact that, you know, you have a built-in audience for these shows like Night Court and, and uh, Magnum yep. P.I., which we're going to talk about in a, in a second. Uh, yeah, if you have a built-in audience that you could attract to your show, then uh, then why not have them on? Sure. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, Greg, one of the funniest things about Magnum P.I. is it reminds me of stuff that used to go on, especially in radio when a show was dropped by one network, picked up by another. Uh, yeah. Last year, you were on the program to talk about Magnum P.I., one of the most popular shows on CBS, which was suddenly, unceremoniously cancelled, only to be picked up by NBC. It returns in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, on a new night and a new network, like you said, Magnum P.I. is going to air Sundays beginning on February the 19th. So we're still about a month away, over a month away for that. It stars Jay Hernandez as Thomas Magnum, a private investigator and former Navy SEAL who solves crimes in Hawaii. And uh, yeah, it's a reboot of the original series um, with Tom Selleck. It was created by Donald P. Belisario and Glenn A. Larson, and it ran from 1980 to 1988. And uh, yeah, uh, just an interesting story, like you said, Kelly. It was dumped by CBS. Um, they said that it was because of costs, and NBC said, thank you very much. We will pick up those costs, and we will bring uh, one of the most popular shows in primetime over to our network. So it's a, it's a win for NBC because they're going to be grabbing those millions of fans who were watching the reboot on CBS in the first place. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so, If and especially if it continues its reputation that it had on CBS before, right? And then it's just a, a bonus. Yeah, they won't be changing the formula at all because it was a winning formula mm -hmm, for exactly. uh, several years on CBS. Yeah. Okay, as we get further into the winter, Greg, what else, what other shows should we be keeping an eye on? 
Well, if you're a Star Wars fan like I am, the new season of The Mandalorian is going to be launching March 1st on Disney+. Plus. Uh, new episodes of that show are going to follow The Mandalorian as he digs deeper into his past and vi- revisits his home planet. Uh, if you're a fan of The Voice, it's going to be back with new singers trying to make it big in front of famous singer-songwriters. That kicks off March the 6th on NBC. And one of the biggest TV series of 2022, Yellow Jackets, returns on March March the 26th on HBO Canada, and it follows the overlapping stories of a group of women who reflect back on their time when a small plane that they were in crashed in uh, in a secluded uh, part of Canada and what happened to them after they were rescued. I will use one word cannibalism oh yes that did occur and uh and we know that already and uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the they get into the storylines in the second season of yellow jackets really really great first season of that show so i'm excited when that returns at the end of march wow what a way to get canceled off a show you talk that that show ate me alive (laughs) oh boo (laughs) you mentioned orange is the new black sorry to catch you off guard but is that still going uh, no, so there are no more okay. new seasons of Orange is the New Black. Uh, those cast members have all moved on to other things. Uh, like I said, mm-hmm. Adrian Moore is now part of uh, a Pretty Hard Cases. But, I mean, I remember back when Orange is the New Black kicked off on Netflix, and mm-hmm. it was like the very first somewhat comedic series that Netflix was was uh, was showing. And that, I think you could credit Orange is the New Black with the show, the show that really got Netflix off the ground and got people subscribing to it because it was such a great wow. show. And uh, because of the buzz around it, that uh, that got all the people uh, all of the people to sign up for subscriptions all right well uh not anymore but it's it's still great because netflix is out there greg thank you so much and the cast is too everywhere that's true thanks for thanks for having me greg david joining us every other week on wednesdays to talk all things television always a lot of fun and especially when we talk the reboots which folks reboots have been around forever right coming up next on the program we get our first visit of the week with bill shackleton he's here and we'll get into some items that he brings to our attention we call the segment the buzz and we talk to him a few times a week please stick around we'll uh, introduce you to bill right after this Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Catch the Pulse, folks, this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time on AMI-audio. This week... Joita talks about the Holland Blue Review Online Disability and Sexuality Hub with Dr. Amy McPherson and artist Wesley McGee Saxton. That's The Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, right on AMI-audio and also available on your uh, favorite podcast platform and YouTube. Kelly McDonald here, hanging out at the home studio, London, Ontario, with Ramya Muthan. And we'd like to, for the first time this week, and in the new year, as a matter of fact, Rum, welcome in Bill Shackleton. How you doing, Shackadoodle? Nice to have you on board. Doing good. Doing good. Life treating you all right? Uh, so far, so good. The new year uh, came in well? Uh, came in well. Um, Earth's early days yet, so hopefully we can mm. keep the thing going. You still got your New Year's resolutions going? Hey, Billy, I have a question hey, for you. Does uh, Is Kelly the only one who calls you Shackadoodle? 
Or is that a thing? Yeah, I think so. Okay. <laughs> Just that I remember. Most people know better. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> You know, that'd be kind of cool, eh, Billy? Shack-a-doodle, shack. I think it was originally shack, right? Well, because of the song Sugar Shack, you know, a lot oh. of people yeah. called me, you know, that Jimmy, I think it was Jimmy Gilmore, or, or I don't know. I, I can't remember. Yeah. But I love that song. It's a good song. And Yeah, yeah and I think, remember uh, running down the shack, uh, the track, Here Comes Shack. Oh, right? that yeah. Was, boy, uh, oh, boy, did I ever, Eddie Shack. Eddie Shack, that was his tune, right? The late Eddie Shack. That was wild, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Mr. Uh, Billy, where are we starting today? Which item? I'm going to do this one. Um, new guidelines use drugs, surgery early for obesity in kids. So basically, uh, new guidelines in the U.S. that were announced, I believe, on Monday suggests mm -hmm. that kids 12 and older. Um, use can use drugs and surgery for kids 13 and over. These guidelines, I think, are are extremely important. Um, you know, obesity affects over 14 million kids, and you know the I've I've talked about guidelines before, and I wonder how many people pay attention to them. But the, we we are. Is, in my humble opinion, we've been treating obesity the wrong way. Not, not all of us, but so many people have been treating it as a social problem. So it's like it's your own fault. Mm. And it's mm -hmm. like when you go to a when you go to a doctor when you're a kid. Well, you know, you all you got you got to lose weight. Now we're not we're not saying that you don't follow, um, you know, nutrition and exercise. But I'm I'm very glad to see. <clears throat> that we are finally coming around to the fact that obesity is inherited. It is a disease. It is not necessarily your fault. And we need to treat it. If you have to treat it with drugs, for heaven's sake, treat it with the drugs. Um, mm. if, if it takes I think we've more, used the scapegoat, get, right, Billy? Yeah, we, we've used oh, the blame yes. thing as our yeah, way of not yeah. dealing with it, that a person just needs to be more active. When there are a lot of people, once they get older, we know it's even tougher to lose weight. But if it's a battle you've had all your life, you know, it's kind of funny because you want to stop and say, well, if the person's been trying since they were 10 and they're 40 years old, something's not working out. They mm. need some extra supports, or we work on it from the beginning. But the reality is, like you said, Bill, if your family is disposed to it, what can you do? It's kind of like avoiding exactly. other health conditions. We, we, we don't hold that against people. We understand that sometimes things run in families, and we understand, well, you can't penalize someone because, oh, yeah, well, it's just a family you're in. Mm -hmm. Well, truly, I marvel at the combination of things that go wrong or aren't mm, taken mm. care of, aren't dealt with, uh, that we're ignorant to. And I say we as in like the people, the general public, but also our healthcare professionals uh, that end up adding to all these health issues and one of the symptoms being obesity, right? Like that's just yep. one problem. Like we're not even looking at the full system of issues that are going on and what can contribute to that. Is it our food? Like you said, uh, Billy, is it our diet? Is it our exercise levels? Is there anything further that we're not looking into? Genetic disposition, hormones? So I'm reading this book called In the Flow by Elisa Vitti and it is packed with information about hormones, and this is uh, catered for, for women, and there's a lot of conversation about obesity in women, PCOS, other diagnoses that are really just, at the root, hormonal challenges, 
and that impacting our, our body shapes, our moods, or everything else, you know? And so we could be eating the right way and exercising, but our hormones are working against us, and do we even know enough about this to diagnose what the root problem is and the causes? So, yeah, like, obesity is a huge problem, especially in North America, and um, oftentimes we can blame our diets for it because, let's just face it, our diets are not great, but is that all? You yeah. wonder, and what you are we going to do about it in any case to support and help? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Bill. I was going to say, um, and some of the drugs, like I, 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 the problem I think the, the doctors have had is that there's not a lot of these drugs. There's not a lot of, it's, I mean, how much do we know about them? And I guess there was a certain reluctance to actually use them. We all know about Ozempic and that sort of thing, but uh, right. there may be others that 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 their doctors are just sort of maybe reluctant to use or recommend. And there might be even reasons for that, right? Like we don't yeah. know the oh, side yeah. effects, or even if well, we do, are, yeah. is it okay to deal with that the side effects? Well, and you you talk a bunch of these are for sugar control for people who mm. have uh, you know diabetes, but are being used elsewhere. I know in other countries, uh, the United States, for example, there's a huge problem because so many people who are getting these meds for weight loss when they're meant to help sugar control for diabetics, yeah. and now diabetics are having trouble getting. The yes. meds they need in this capacity, they have to. Ugh. The doctors have to be creative and do something else. Not to mention the coverage, Kels, just to even oh, get. Oh my good heavens! Yeah, yeah. any kind of drugs yeah. in the United States, and as an example. You certainly can't say, "Oh, this is well." In the states, you can. The, the doctors can say apparently that weight loss in Canada. You know, your health providers don't don't say that. Don't mm -hmm. tell your insurance that. Yeah, well, I, I'm I'm really glad that we're as Ramia you pointed out. We're looking at the the real reasons and the hormonal thing and all this sort of thing that, um, as as it's turning out to be, people are realizing that it isn't that that it is a pro that it, it's it's not a social thing. It's not your fault. Oh, gosh, and I think no. we need to do more of that. Look, look into exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Billy, what's your next item? Here's another one. <clears throat> Pay transparency may affect your job search. Another oh. one from the Associated Press. I kind of like this one. So in several states, not all, um, employers are required. Again, the laws are pretty convoluted. But in some states, they are required to post what the upper and lower um, salary limits of positions are. And I'm going to tell you why that, that I don't think this law goes far enough. But basically what it is, when you go into it, when you're looking for a job, you'll be in certain states, of course, you'll be able to determine what your the pay salary is going to be. Now, normally when you go into a job interview, you are, the applicant is told, right, how much you're going to be earning. Right. And and sometimes the, the, the but, but now the other employees in a company can sort of say, well, how much is that position paid? What are these people? What are these people paid? Now, this will not, um, as the article said, um, eliminate employment or, or or pay equity. But what it will do, hopefully, is spark conversation and maybe um, because some people are paid more, some people are paid less for the same position. And I'm going to get into why I think the law doesn't go far enough. And that is that when you go into a job, how do you know what the industry pays? 
how do you when, like when you you know in your job do you know how much you're worth and i think companies should be should have to post what the actual uh right. you know what 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 you are paid according to your job position in the industry which apparently they don't do it's just what your company yeah. posts it's what your company posts and then you have yeah. to go do your own research but i That's am right, glad right. that so many um mentors and organizations that help you with job recruitment and stuff like that are telling you that they're being transparent and saying go to Glassdoor or all these other website and resources to find out what people are getting paid. And then you use that information in the job interview to let the employer know that, you know, this is what you should be making, because that gives you a lot of you know, it gives you a leg up right in order to negotiate or to talk about what other flexibilities they're giving you. If it's not wages, is there something else that you can settle for? You know what I mean? Like, it, it is important that you know this information and not just the industry and uh, what people are getting paid at your job position, but in your locality, right? So someone mm -hmm. in Toronto yeah. may be making something completely different than someone in, I don't know, like a remote area in Alberta or something in the same job and position. And I think... You're also looking at the fact that then their expectation of you and what they know your expectation of them. So if you ask that question, because they'll tell you, ask in an interview what the pay scale is. Now, you may not right. do it at your first meeting. If you know there's going to be a couple of interviews that that's the cycle, they don't call you back for the second one. Uh, all right, it doesn't matter. But in the first one, you know, am I interested? Do I want to pursue? So at that point... If you want that second, if you like what it is, then you want to ask them, Billy. So I, I, I think it's so valuable and to do that research. But you do the research about everything, I think. Oh, I, I never did. I mean, yeah, maybe you do now, but maybe mm -hmm. back in my day, you just went into a job interview and, well, here's what you're paid. Oh, for the best, yeah. right? And yeah, especially yeah. as people with disabilities. Like, we haven't even put that on the table yet. But no, as people with no, disabilities, no. you you're... Um, probably facing all kinds of other biases along with just settling for whatever they give you and i don't think yeah, you that don't that want to undersell yourself yeah no 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 because you have skills anything else on that item bill um no not not really but i think i think the idea is that you will be able to it'll spark more it'll make you know people will discuss what they're paid more and maybe employers will even sort of even up the playing field mm -hmm. a little more yeah. Well, and we talk about people wanting, like we were talking earlier with Grant about the quiet quitting or getting yourself oh, yeah. fired, basically, or being let go. But I have a feeling that that's really what a lot of these new conversations post-pandemic are really starting to occur, that people are saying, this is what I want. I don't want to put up with that. What are you that's paying right. me, by the way, if I take this job or for this position based on experience and you get it you get that they want that qualified person who has the skill i know as you mentioned the disability world we often do that underselling of ourselves because of lack of experience maybe we haven't had enough jobs and stuff like that so we don't put that value bill on us right yeah finding the self value is probably some of the hardest conversation you have with yourself you know it, it may be about your current job it may be what you're seeking um are you willing to sacrifice or you know understand yourself better for a position and go in with how much prep but definitely the value the value that you find in yourself will answer a lot of these questions for if you're going to fight for what you're worth and hopefully give you the confidence to ask those questions, to not be afraid of, well, if this one gets away, 
so be it. But right. again, that's a privileged position to be in and, and knowing yourself, your talent, and what you have to offer is really everything. Billy, thanks a lot, man. We'll talk to you tomorrow. We'll talk tomorrow. Bill Shackleton, he joins us Wednesday through Friday on the program for The Buzz, uh, where he brings a bunch of items for us to kick around and have a chat about. Always enjoyable, so join us tomorrow when Billy's back on the program. We got another hour of programming ahead that I hope you can stick around for, ladies and gentlemen. If not, check us out via the podcast, the Kelly and Romeo podcast, available from your favorite podcatcher. Coming up, folks, half of Canadians out there plan to look for a new job this year. Why is that? Our friends at Robert Half, they'll let us know. We meet one of our new contributors, Kevin Shaw, who will be joining us. He'll be talking to us about the new bi-weekly segment that we have on entrepreneurship. But up next, we welcome a new community reporter to the program. Stay tuned. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. It never feels like it, ladies and gentlemen, that you're, you know, you're spending time with us. You're not doing time. It never feels like that. It's always a good time here on the program. Welcome back to Kelly and Ramya. I appreciate you spending whatever time you can with us and consuming the show in any way. We have a lot of fun as we get into the second hour here on the program. And uh, Ramya, lots of, of great content today, all week. We'll tee up some things that we're doing tomorrow on the program. It just keeps coming everyone's way everyone's way and we have new people that we're meeting throughout the week as well we have regular uh you know guests who join us on the show or regular contributors but sometimes we meet somebody new to even add to that roster our community reporters who join us um help me get this right kels mondays tuesdays wednesdays on the show okay i don't yeah, know no, we, aren't we doing it on thursdays there's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Anyways, no idea. Um, they join us a couple <laughs> times on the show. We've changed our schedule up a little bit, so I'm trying to remember well. But either way, we're adding a new community reporter to our roster, and we're meeting her right now. Marisa Hersey-Meisner is joining us from St. John, New Brunswick, and we haven't touched that area here on Kelly and Rumia yet, so we're very excited to know more about the locality and to get to know Marisa. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Kelly and Ramya. Yes. How are you today? And to the Kelly and Ramya family, of course. I'm doing well. How are you? Very well. Awesome. It's a bright, sunny day here. It's a bit cold, but that's what you can expect in Canada. Can you? I was going to say, can you define a bit cold? <laughs> uh, it's probably like <laughs> minus eight, I believe. <laughs> oh, okay. Minus eight. Yeah, yeah you... so it's, it's a bit colder than, than here. That That's true. Um and I think because we've we've not had a community reporter settle in with us from New Brunswick, it is awesome because we get to learn about all the cool things there. And Rumi and I love to hear that stuff. Yes, and St. John is a beautiful city. It's the oldest incorporated city in Canada. So there's a lot happening, a lot of heritage. Oh, that's amazing. That really is. Um, you want to tell us a little bit a little bit about yourself, a little bit things we should know, um, you know, things about you. How would you, when someone says, tell me a little bit about you. So I'm going to do that. <clears throat> tell us a little bit about you. <laughs> well, I'm originally from a rural community overlooking the beautiful Tobik uh, uh, River. 
in Northwest New Brunswick. Um, <clears throat> I was diagnosed um, legally blind uh, due to aniridia. Aniridia basically means uh, it's a genetic eye condition, uh, meaning without iris. So I don't have an iris. Um, and I am a member of the largest family in Atlantic Canada with aniridia. And we actually had participated in a research project uh, that helped the researchers uh, with learning about aniridia. And uh, in that uh, particular research project, they learned that we are missing the PAC-6 gene and that mm. it is actually a syndrome and not just an eye condition. It affects all parts of the eye and um, glaucoma, cataracts and corneal issues are some of the outlining uh, conditions with the eye. Now, <clears throat> I have encountered many barriers due to my, my disability, uh, including education uh, due to the lack of information or and and employment issues uh, due to transportation and i live in st john now with my husband clayton and my cnib guide dog novali actually i just got novali uh in may of uh, last year and she has transformed my life uh using the white cane um you know you're running into obstacles and and uh you know, struggling to navigate around uh, the city. But with Novali, she takes me around all the obstacles and I'm meeting a lot of new people because they're so curious about uh, wanting to know about Novali. So wow. um, I am the chairperson of the We Are Passengers consumer uh, group and advocacy group. And I chair the St. John Ability Advisory Committee. I'm the vice president of Guide Dogs Users of Canada. I volunteer with CNIB, and wow, do I really have any more time to do the things that I really enjoy, like walking, nature hikes, uh, listening to different genres of music, and capturing moments on my iPhone? Well, of course, but my above all, I really love um, spending time with family and friends, and um, my faith in God is is what gives me the strength to do all those things. Mm -hmm. And and the strength to uh, do all of that, which you're doing a lot, is incredible because you're so, it seems as though you're so well connected to the community. Are there, is there something that you would call um, what you're passionate about, you know, whether that be sports and recreation or as you talked about the We Are Passengers uh initiative like is there something in all of these wonderful things you mentioned that really makes you feel like this is my place in the community this is where i love to be well i would say advocating uh, for persons with disabilities and just trying to remove the barriers and 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 educating the public on the different barriers that uh, persons with disabilities face and you know and and just meeting and, and listening to people's stories of, of, you know, their experience, life experiences. And, and that in itself brings joy because then you don't feel alone. You know, you, you feel like I'm part of the community. Yes, there's barriers, but we can overcome. We can, we can make a difference in our society if we um, actively uh, bring awareness 
to the issues and uh, try to come up with solutions and brainstorm, you know, different ideas of how and collaborate with those that are making the decisions. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, and, you know, it's amazing when I sit back and, and listen to you talk about the different areas. There's so much I know that we'll unpack in, in the months to come with you on the program, but really love your openness about your anaridia. I love the openness about what empowerment, and I think that's the most tremendous thing, getting your guide dog. Like, it's it's just wonderful um, when you talk about those things because that's one of the beliefs I have, being able to get out, move around, and, and not feel like I'm, I'm afraid or I have to wait for somebody to give me a hand. So let's move on to your next item because something kind of interesting has happened for the blind uh, in St. John. Uh, the, sa- the transit has reinstated free transit for the blind. Yes, and this is exciting news for for those of us that have been advocating this for this for years. Um, <clears throat> as, as we know, under the motor vehicle uh, laws, blind persons are per- not permitted uh, to drive a car for obvious reasons, of course. Uh, legally blind individuals have a right to transportation. Um, and it is the number one cause of barriers to obtaining education, employment, healthcare services, and meeting daily and social needs. And um, the CNIB's Cornell Baker recognized the need for transportation um, and and the need for um, us to have accessible transportation and due to poverty levels within the legally blind community, um, he had approached transit system, systems right across the nation. And um, they, he was able to um, sign contracts or, or with a lot of the transit systems across the country and making transit free um, and, and accessible for the visually impaired or those with vision loss. Now, um, back in the early uh, 2000s, we we did hear and learn of a couple of uh, transit systems that started to express uh, the you know the thoughts of uh, discontinuing that in mm-hmm. Hamilton, that. Ontario, yeah. and Halifax were a couple of those, and they were able to uh, the advocates there in those communities were able to. Um, basically find substantial information, documentation stating that, um, you know, they had contracts and so forth. So those municipalities and, and transit systems decided to continue with the free fare accommodation. And, and, and still today, right across the nation, we have free fare at most transit systems. Mm-hmm. Now, Kelly, this this is where the story really gets interesting. Um, without consultation with the CNIB or any stakeholders, at a meeting of St. John Transit Commission on February 21st, 2014, it was resolved to discontinue the practice of providing free fare transportation to blind passengers who hold CNIB identification. Um, and this came into effect on July 2nd, 2014. CNIB only learned of this decision by receiving a letter dated uh, or on 
February 28, 2014. Basically, the transit board based their decision um, by receiving a half-page memo from the general manager, Frank McCary, at the time. And it essentially advised the board that the practice of providing free bus transportation has been discontinued at most transit systems and is under review at the St. John Transit. The memo also stated that the practice had been discontinued at many transit systems uh, primarily because they had been challenged by other disability groups. Mm. Yep. Now, these, so are, th these were all erroneous claims, and uh, we had um, actually, uh, when we researched it out, there was actually no claims. Uh, we, we couldn't really find a lot of um, challenges uh, from other disability that. groups no, to support that. No. And also, we couldn't find, um, and and CNIB responded uh, with a letter stating that 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 all the list of most transit systems have discontinued was was false. Oh. They had given a whole list of transit systems that were still offering the free fare. Um, so it. Such an interesting development, Marisa. Um, I'm sorry we have to cut you off in the middle of telling us about this because it sure. is very intriguing how uh, it, it came to be this situation. And I'm glad that it's worked itself out at the moment, though. We're going to say goodbye to you today, but you'll be back with us next month. Thank you for joining us and welcome. Okay, thank you. Marisa Hersey Meisner is our new community reporter from St. John, New Brunswick. Boy, that's something for Cut for Time on Friday. We'll have to get more into that. Coming up next on the program, half of Canadians plan to look for a new job this year. Why is that? Our friends at Robert Half, they'll be here in a moment to let us know. Stick around. It's Kelly and Ramya. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Kelly McDonald, the big guy, settled back here in my uh, office chair, right here in the London, Ontario home studio with behind me the uh, skyline of Toronto, CN Tower, over my left shoulder. Thank you for being with us, ladies and gentlemen. Today, wherever you are, Ramya Muthan, my co-host, she's at the studio in Toronto, hanging out at the uh, desk there, columns around her of different colors, and a beautiful set, and also the skyline of Toronto in behind her. Did we ever figure out, Rum, how often we can say Happy New Year to people? Mm, you know, when does that stop? Not how often, but yeah, we were talking about the end date. For me, it's like, if I haven't talking, uh, talked to you by Jan 14th or somewhere mid-Jan, probably not going to say Happy New Year after that. But All even right, now, I it feels like we're up. stretching it, right? What well, is today I'm bringing the it up only because, yeah, and I'm bringing it up now because New Year, new times, different things going on, always stuff showing... The Times is a change in. Mm -hmm. Recent research from Robert Half, folks, reveals uh, increased job optimism. That's a good thing, right? Among Canadian professionals, particularly, despite economic uncertainty, according to the uh, Robert Half biannual job optimism survey of more than 1,100 professionals in this country, 
half of the respondents out there are actually currently looking or plan to look for a new role in the first half of 2023, up from one-third of respondents last spring when it was done. Our good friend returning to the program, Michael French, he's returning, he's with Robert Half. Michael, appreciate you being with us. Happy <coughs> New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year. But I think you're right. We probably have till Friday and then that's the yeah. end of the Happy New Year's. But thanks for having me on. Congrats on television. Thank you. Thank you very much. And we appreciate the support you guys always, uh, always give us. Okay, so we're all hearing horror stories of inflation and economic slump. Why do you think Canadians are optimistic about the labour market? Well, this survey really surprised me. We, we go out twice a year and ask people, how, um, what are you doing in your job search? Are you looking? Are you, are you staying where you are? And over half the people this year said they want to look for a new job in the first six months of the year. And that's, we've never seen it that high before. They are so optimistic and so confident in the job market that they want to make a change. And so that, that's astronomical. Hmm. We've never seen numbers like that whenever we've done the survey in the past. Now, you said you were surprised. I have to say, I can't necessarily feel or agree with you because of you guys. When we've talked about people on this program with you before about the changes, about people doing so much over the pandemic time to ready themselves for maybe that switch, trying to take a course or two, it made me feel that, yeah, we're having a shortage of jobs, but I think it's because people are reaching more for the stars than they did before. So I, I, I wasn't surprised, maybe as much as I would have been if, you had, if, if we hadn't had you on the show in the past. Well, you know, there's been a demand for talent for a number of years. And we're talking now about the professional space. So lawyers, right. accountants, advertising, technology. And we know that space. There's a lot of boomers retiring. Gen Xers moving up. Millennials now have been in the seat for a couple of years. Um, there's a lot of great jobs out there especially with mm. the exiting of the boomers now. So that whole segment, I don't say they're fully gone, but they're on the very, very tail end here. So that's created a lot of opportunity for people to move up into maybe senior manager roles or some new leadership positions. So there's lots happening, lots of movement. COVID has brought oh, us yeah. a lot of changes, yeah. and this is probably now the lingering effect of what's happened in the last couple of years. Mm. Wow. And are these the motivators then for people, younger people, for people stepping into the professional realm, being like, yeah, like, I got this. There's so much more opportunity out there. We're talking about flexibility. Everything is changing. So at the cusp of all that, let me uh, enter. Well, let me share with you some some stats and some groups here. So we we dissect the data based on different cohorts and different scenarios. So the number one group of people looking to make a change have been at their company from two to four years. These could be people who who started before COVID or during COVID, been there for a couple of years now, but they're looking for a promotion or a change. If they don't get that, they're going somewhere else. But then mm. the millennials and Gen Z. So you know what? That, that could be that same group. They now have been workforce for two years, so that, that could be the same area. But the one that really shocked me, and I think we talked about flexibility a lot when we've been on the phone, on the uh, calls before, working parents, they came through at 55%. So yeah. over half the working parents say, I want a change. And I, I think that comes down to the flexibility they've enjoyed. They've enjoyed dropping off the kids in the morning or getting them from school and coaching soccer, and they want to continue with that flexibility. So if you want to hang on to your working parents, make sure you're offering them flexibility. 
Uh, that makes played perfect sense to wow. me. Yeah, and I, mm -hmm. I, I definitely, not necessarily empathize, but can understand for working parents because, like you said, it's not just been a couple months, and I say this often now, it's not just been a couple months of COVID or just a little while and we're still talking about, oh, when do we go back to the new normal? No, I think that a lot of us have settled into what is the present new normal. And so if you're saying... I've been working from home for the last two years, and I love it. So if I have to come back to the office, that's just a non-negotiable for me, non-negotiable for me anymore because I'm dropping off my kids. Because the flexible hours made such a difference in my work-life balance. Yeah, I can understand people saying uh, I'm going to move on if that's not offered anymore. I think you're right, Ramya. You know, we're hearing it every day from some of the big, big firms. You know, south of the border. We heard uh, a big CEO announce yesterday that. Uh, back to the office, four days, non-negotiable. So I think there's a lot of talk about it. But if you really want to maintain and hang on to the very best people or try yeah. to attract the best people, you got to offer flexibility. I think we're going to go through a year here where we're probably going to be some push and pulling and figuring out what the, the balance is going to be. But if you're not offering flexibility, you'll never get the best people. Your competitors will have way better people than you will. And that's scary. Yes, it is. And remember all the conversations we've had with you and other Robert Half reps about communication and wanting to uh, continue having that communication between management and supervision and employees and everybody let's put all our stuff on the table and talk about it. So, you know, if, if we can't express to you how important it is that flexibility as our manager, as our supervisor, as higher management, then then we're saying, okay, peace out. <laughs> well, you know, and that's a great part. We talked about communication a lot, and that's the answer to everything. It always has been. But we look at those millennials. They they they're very, very motivated. And don't we don't we always want to have employees who are motivated and want to do more and achieve more? Mm -hmm. And they're looking for some career progression, looking for a mentor, and they really want their their leader or their senior leader to sit down and talk with them. What's possible? If I stay with you, how far can my career go? Show me somebody who's stayed with you and has done great things. They're looking for someone to actually help them map out their next couple of years, and they will, they will work very, very hard for you. Yeah. Or they're going to leave you and be working hard for somebody else. Exactly. So do you feel, Michael, that is there a, a piece to this of working in the office, everything that comes with that, the things you're assigning your code of, contact, code of conduct for, uh, not to do this, be, be sensitive to others, all these things that people have not really had to worry so much about, have enjoyed not necessarily being face-to-face -face with the competition in the same way that they feel, and, and that's good always to, to want to get better and strive to be better, but is there that negotiable now that no, work doesn't have to be more than the stress of the job. I don't have to be having stress just to get along here or commute here back and forth. Is that really playing a huge part as well? Well, let's say something. Work has changed. We'll never go back to the old days where, where everybody got in the subway at 7.30, got to the office for 8 and punched the clock at 5. Those days are long gone. Mm -hmm. We're going to see flexibility in many different ways. You know, we haven't really even talked about four-day work weeks. That, right. no. I, vote, I vote for that one. I, I'm game for that. <laughs> if my boss wants to try that one, I'm, I'm right in there. But there's lots of change coming. And I don't think we need to define change as to, so here's what it's going to be. We want to be open to it. We want to embrace it and figure out not why it's not going to work, but let's actually give it a chance to see where it's going to thrive and where it really does work well for us. You can see behind me, we have an office full of people today. 
it's the beginning of the year. We're all in the office. Um, people we haven't seen some of us for over a year or two years. And you know, we've had a great, great collaborative day today. Yeah. How no, new is that? That you've had everybody coming in. Has it been pretty well this week that the X number of days per week we need everybody in or, or what? Well, see, it was the beginning of the year. We decided we'd uh, we'd all come to the office for a couple of days. We were in Monday, and we're in today and tomorrow, and uh, lots of people. I was in yesterday as well. I enjoy coming to the office. I, I like I, I like being in the office. I see some clients downtown, but yeah, there's a lot of people in today. We're having a, a good collaborative session, so we're enjoying being together and collaborating. I think that's a big piece executives worry about. They worry about the culture and the collaboration because that they built their company on that, and, they, and they've invested a lot into collaborative spaces. If you turn the clock back decades it used to be oh build offices doors and then it became the pods and working together and there's a lot of um, a lot of thought and investment into collaboration yeah and now when uh, i think they worry about what's going to happen if we're not in the office together so it's it, it's it's going to level itself out we're all learning but please embrace it yeah, and it is significant right like work culture is significant having that um it's empowering, it's connective to be able to, you know, either be in the same space with people or at least feel like we can still have that vibe, that vibe of a team spirit. And and people do it in different ways. Companies do it in different ways. But where does that factor in then? Do employees, um, is there responses in this latest um, research about employees caring about work culture? Well, You've also missed a big word of being fun. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it, we've had a great time today. So, when we we didn't necessarily ask them why do you want to be together or, or what, where are you, what you're looking for. When we asked them what you're looking for, they all want more money. <laughs> Almost seventy percent came through and said, "I'm looking for more money." Costs are going up. Price of tomatoes, lettuce, fuel, yes. you name it. Rent's going up. So that was the number one thing. They all want more money. We all want more money. Who doesn't? Uh, but money came through as, as a very big factor. But, you know, money always comes through as a factor. But they're still in there. Coming through it at a quarter was sort of the career mapping, career progression. So one of four people had no problem saying, I'm looking for career progression. Mm. I want my manager to actually help me map out my career and show me that's possible. And that, that can be achieved in many companies. That's a conversation. And you it think is. about it, that doesn't cost anything. That's right. 30 no. minutes, maybe no. an hour, go for coffee, talk about what's possible, share your vision, share, share team vision, and you'll get buy-in from, from your, your team. So that's really important. Yeah, you'll generate a lot of idea, a lot of also feeling. Any other interesting highlights from the research before we let you go, Michael? You know what, this, was, um, this one really surprised me. I was shocked to hear one or two people are looking for a job. Um, it's, uh, it, it really, really resonated with the fact that the job market is still hot and people have tremendous confidence in the job market. So if you're looking for a work, do it from home. Don't do it on your, on your work time. Don't use your company computer. Be very, very respectful. Please give your current manager, current company, two weeks notice minimum and never, ever, ever burn a bridge if you're leaving. The uh, business world's pretty small. You never know it's going to come back and bite you later. But please, always give two weeks notice. It's also a nice feeling, by the sounds of this, the confidence that a lot of time we worry that many of us, and again, I, I know we're talking different types of positions or different you know, fields where people will say, well, uh, generally there are a lot of people there with confidence. But these folks all saying, you know what? I'm going to look for something else where so many people for so long, no, no, I got to stay here. I got to stay, and we'd say in the old rut. 
well, there's possibilities, there's options. Everyone has lots of options. That's what makes the job market so hot right now. Right. Beautiful. Michael, as usual, thanks a lot. Uh, appreciate talking to you and finding out about this research. And wow, glad to hear how surprising and a lot to look forward to. Thanks for having me on and congratulations. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Michael French. And of course, with Robert Half joining us on the program, always bringing us an incredible Ramya amount of insight and things to think about, uh, especially people who are figuring, I want that change. And not this will spread to so many parts of the working industry as to the things people want. So really wonderful, really nice to hear that as they shared their uh, most uh, recent research on job seeking. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to meet another new person to us. This is one of our newest contributors, Kevin Shaw. He joins us to talk about his new bi-weekly segment on entrepreneurship right here on Kelly and Ramya. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. One of the fun things about the podcast, folks, is if you listen to the complete Kelly and Ramya podcast, you can check out the audio vanity card that's uh, put on the end. One of the members of the team, we throw it together and tack one on to the end of the full version. Subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcatcher. Kelly McDonald here at the Home Studio, London, Ontario. Ramya Muthan at our headquarters at AMI Main Campus. Now, it's nice to be checking in with our regular people throughout the week and uh, inviting them on to TV with us on Kelly and Romeo, but it's also nice to introduce some of these new folks, and today we have so many of them. Uh, we're pleased to welcome one of our newest contributors who's going to be joining us bi-weekly at this time on Wednesdays. We love our bi-weekly contributors, and he's here to talk entrepreneurship with us. Let's welcome Kevin Shaw. Kev, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here. We're Congrats looking forward to this Thank topic you. so much because we talk employment a lot, and uh, there are so many different angles to this conversation, of course. So entrepreneurship and with the angles and intersectionality of disabilities and everything else that will come up, I think that you'll have a ton to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's certainly not a path that I planned on taking in life. Um, <laughs> entrepreneurship is one of those bugs that bites you, and once it bites you, it, it sort of gets a hold on you. Okay, well, I'm curious about that. So some people might already know you, Kev, because you're pretty famous. Uh, you're very well known in the community <laughs> in the greater Toronto area. You do a lot, but also on our network on Now with Dave Brown in the morning show, uh, you uh, people can check you out on your Once a Month segment. But tell us a little bit about yourself in this context of entrepreneurship. Well, my, my career is uh, quite unique. Uh, I actually started out in broadcasting and media. Uh, that's what I went to school for at Ryerson for radio and television arts. And I got out of school. I wanted to be a recording engineer for the rest of my life. I thought, this is the life for me, just recording bands and making up drum kits and doing all that fun stuff. And um, I realized that that it was just so hard to find a job in the industry. And I thought, well, no one's hiring me. I may as well just hire myself to go, mm. go out and do things. And I, I, I worked as a mobile DJ for um, about seven years or so uh, through school and, and then after school and was, you know, reasonably good at that. And, and um, I started doing some freelance music production, uh, audio production on the side 
And um, again, I was just working with anybody I could to, you know, record, you know, like little piano and vocal things or, um, uh, you know, working in, in churches and living rooms and bedrooms. And so we're trying to, trying to record and make my, make it as a, as a music producer. Um, I got one really big project, which ended up being really great. And I was really proud of that. And then landed a gig working in radio. I worked in radio for about almost eight years. And I was the technical production coordinator at a, a small uh, campus station here at, in Toronto. And um, it's just kind of trying to figure out the rest of my life. Went back to school, got a master's degree, found myself back working in radio and just wondering what to do. And um, I had the idea to start a, a Netflix for the blind, which was uh, Tell Me TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and that company, I basically just dove headfirst right into a tech entrepreneurship, not knowing, you know, not knowing a thing on, on how to do this. I, you know, I wasn't a coder, I wasn't a programmer, um, but I knew how to get things done from working as a music producer. And uh, just found myself just going going at uh, Tell Me TV full time, and um, through the course of that, we launched. Um, uh, the market matured around us. Basically, got the uh, <laughs> uh, got got the inclination that you know this this wasn't going to uh, you know make me a billion dollars. I wasn't going to be the next Elon Musk. Um, and uh, then I joined CNIB. I ran a national entrepreneurship program for them and met folks at Sight Loss from right across Canada doing a whole number of different things, everything from you know running bakeries to um, developing software to uh, you know to making art to, to you know to to being accountants, all all kinds of fun stuff. And um, uh, at concurrent to that, I was I was in the middle of a, another startup. Uh, called Menuvox, and um, so you know, entrepreneurship just kind of became a part of my DNA. And um, you know, I did some freelance work after uh, leaving CNIB, and uh, I'm now working as in in digital accessibility at Tangerine. So, you know, it's it's quite the it's it's quite the varied career, but entrepreneurship has certainly been a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's amazing. Now, I am thinking, since you made the reference to Elon Musk, you running Twitter, and, and uh, you know, I think we'd be in better hands, of course, um, and, and working over at Tangerine, is that uh, where you found yourself due to that connection to uh, on the court at a Toronto Raptors game? I, I thought I heard that rumor. <laughs> uh, that, that's coming back. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was part of a Tangerine event that, that we did, and I got to shoot a basket, and, and uh, just tons of fun. Nice. I bet. Uh, Kevin, I think what what I notice is the theme. There's a lot of pieces, and I think one of the key things we we think about is all the things you've had a chance to dip your hand in, but also the education that you've had in the ed- other hand, because that's so fu- you know, full of everything that we do. Um, how much do we know? How are we learning stuff, whether it's at a school or through life experience? You've had a bunch of that, and that's allowed you to get yourself into many, really, business ventures that, that you've mm-hmm. had to play with. But really, being that entrepreneur, is, is there any of these things that right now you kind of now have with the work at Tangerine? Fantastic as the main gig, but things, other ventures on the side now um, that that you're working on, still wanting to develop. Is that something for you that will probably be a mainstay always in your life, picking up that little extra thing to putter around with? And and maybe you want to mention a couple of those. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Manubox is still it's still there. Um, you know, we're we're close to developing uh, a beta and getting getting that out to to folks. Um, you know, it's it's one of these things where you know when it becomes your side gig, you you've got to find hours in the day to do it. Um, and I've I've got ideas for all kinds of things. Um, you know, digital products and and um, uh, you know things and things certainly in the in the mobile space um things for for smart speakers and so forth so you know these are things that i'm i'm always i'm always generating ideas and it's just a matter of going out and finding those customers and you know finding people who want to who want to do this stuff um but you know i'm the kind of person whose brain that never shuts off so right. you know i'm always thinking about hey what's the next mm. you know what's the next thing that i can go out and, and work on and, and and you know improve and and you know, I've, I've been fortunate in that I've been able to do things for the community as opposed to, you know, hey, I'm going to go and start up a Subway franchise or something and, and uh, <laughs> you know, do that. Uh, it's been a, just a privilege for me to, to help folks in the community and, and do things like like Tell Me TV and Menuvox and work at CNIB and shepherd companies to market and, and you know, just, just really get in there and encourage people and say, hey, you can do this. This right. isn't... Some people aren't cut out for a nine to five job. They they don't want to you know go and pass out their resume and you know smile and you know look pretty and and uh, you know go out and impress an employer. It's it's hey I've got I've got something in me that I, I a problem in the world that I can't help but solve, and that's to me the foundation of being an entrepreneur, a great well, entrepreneur. And I think. In the disability community, a lot of people have gotten tired of trying, even if they wanted to start with that job, and they've just decided, you know what, like yourself, Kevin, I'm just going to go do this myself. So it makes me ask you, what's next, or how do I do it? What, what, do, you, what do you think you ask yourself more often? Do you, well, what do I want to do next? What should I do next? Or is it more, how am I going to solve that puzzle? I don't like the way that works. How can we make it better? Is it the how or what word used more? Yeah, I... I think it it comes down to how do I solve this? Um, yeah, I love to use the analogy of Lego. And when you you know when you go to school and you you take the time to to go out and learn things. And I sat down with a course from iTunes U and basically taught myself uh, you know the, the fundamentals of of computer programming. Um, you know, I learned that there are these Lego blocks and it's like, well, in order to, to build a service like, um, you know, Menuvox, for example, here are the Lego blocks that you need. You need, uh, you know, you need this, you need this, you need this other thing. And these will all snap together. You don't have all the details. Mm -hmm. That's for a developer to work out. Um, but you know, the fundamentals as to how these things fit together. And I think that's, that's really where entrepreneurship begins. That's the, to me, that's where great entrepreneurship begins is how do I solve this particular problem? And a lot of the times those solutions aren't elegant. Um, mm -hmm. You know, they're certainly not polished, but we, you know, we've got to start somewhere. And, yes. and oftentimes your, your, your very first product, what we call the MVP, the minimum viable product is held together with, shoelaces and bubble gum and duct tape and and it's uh you know it's ghetto but it works and important people want too. that solution yeah i think I'm sorry say again i say it's important too because 
It is the launching yeah. point. It is the original mm -hmm. that you are able to look at and step back and say, how can we, yeah. how again, can we get better? Totally. Yeah. It's, totally. It's such a, um, a kind of like a messy but beautiful way to think about it, right? Because as you said earlier, some people, if you feel that you're not cut out for the nine to five, but you think that's a problem, it doesn't have to be. It sounds like there's so much... Um, freedom in the inception of solving a problem that you can take on yourself and and all the other uh, bits and pieces that come along with that like collaboration but really just the initial excitement of saying hey I have an idea on how to solve this problem yeah and you know just to get back to, to what I was talking about not everybody has to be a tech entrepreneur there are a lot of people out there in our community who are really good at knitting or art or making baskets or mm -hmm. doing woodwork or you know doing something with their hands that they love and you know if they if they can find a market for it that's certainly something that can you know if not sustain you at least supplement you for you know for for part of your income and and these are things that um you know that that are accessible. If you find something that's accessible and that works for you, go and do that and, and learn to do that really well. And, um, you know, things will, uh, things will work out. Do you find, because you said you had a lot of, um, opportunity to help out in the community. And of course you have your lived experience in the blind low vision mm -hmm. community as well. So do you find that those things are very much linked in the problems you had versus, and, and I guess leading into the solutions you were finding in the name of entrepreneurship. Yeah, I, I, I would say so. I, I wouldn't have found these solutions if I wasn't in the community. If I didn't have that lived experience, you know, I, I tell the story about how I came up with the idea for Tell Me TV. Um, and I, I had a shelf full of DVDs. They all had descriptive audio tracks on them. Um, and I asked myself, why do I have these, this shelf full of DVDs? They were all still in shrink wrap. You know, why did I go and spend all this money at the, you know, at the bargain bin to go and buy all these movies and just like, I've never watched them. And I realized that the, that the problem was the interface. And I thought, well, you know, we can make a better interface online. And that's when the idea hit me. That's that aha moment. And, you know, I don't think I would have thought of that if, if I didn't have sight loss and, mm -hmm. Um, you know, the same thing with Menuvox, sitting in a restaurant, you know, waving my phone over a menu going, well, this, this kind of sucks. I'm going to try and, you know, find, find this menu online. And that took forever. I'm like, oh, this is, this is ridiculous. Why can't I just see a menu on my phone? Um, and, and that's where those ideas came from. And, um, I, th I think for a lot of people in our community, we know the best way to solve our problems. Um, oh. and all it takes is just some skill and some know-how and and the social skills and the networking to 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 bring people on board to you know to help you bring that dream to reality how about oh, kevin the trial ahead, and error aspect of it kev because i mm. think that um so many of us are so fearful of where entrepreneurship can lead which is down a hole right like you try something yeah. out you invest yeah. your your money your heart your time as well, i think yeah you're sleeping right? everything every waking hour into it and you're excited right because this is a passion yeah. project really and then it doesn't work out. It doesn't have the backing that you need for it to move forward. Where do you go from that point or how do you deal with that? So for, for me, there's that one moment that when you realize that, you know, 
Um, I left my job in radio and I, I had that freak out moment where it was like, the success of this is on me. Right. Um, you know, no, no one's coming to save me if this doesn't work out and there's no job that I can go back to if this doesn't work out, which, you know, is not, it's not a hundred percent true, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did it because that opened doors for me and, and yeah, you know what, as an entrepreneur, you're going to fail and you should expect failure and you should expect that not every day is going to be, um, you know, we, we all see, we all see the video of the iPhone launch, um, which, uh, you know, which is what, 16 years old this year. Um, and we all expect that we're going to have like a snazzy product launch just like that. And it's not true. Um, you know, version one is going to be awful and version two is going to be less awful and version three is going to be okay. And then version four is going to be good. And version five is going to be great. And that's when everyone's going to, you know, jump on board and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, you don't realize that, that two years have gone into making the next version, the next version, the next version, um, you know, and maybe it's two years, maybe it's three, but there are those little failures along the way that you need to, you know, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, uh, you know, wipe your eyes, blow your nose and get back in the game. And, um, even if it, even it completely fails, um, and you're faced with a situation where, you know, the big players are, are, you know, honing in on your, your, your territory, you've built up expertise in your particular area that you can now take to other places. And so it's not a, you know, it's not a, a venture that, you know, has a, a zero sum game. Yeah. Well, I'm really looking forward to having you on biweekly to uh, further dive into these conversations. I feel like we'll have a lot of great moments on the show um, and talk about your experiences, which play a huge part in uh, the conversations ahead. So thank you so much, Kev. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Us too. Kevin Shaw is our newest contributor, joining us every other week on Wednesdays to talk uh, entrepreneurship. And of course, on Wednesdays at this time, in general, we'll be talking employment with um, other contributors and guests as well. Wow, what, what a guy to get to know, folks, and, and hopefully you can make it listen in. Uh, we left a lot on the table just getting to know Kevin there. Mm. Coming up in just a couple of moments on the program, we're going to take a look at what the gang over at Now at Dave Brown has on tap for their 9 a.m. show tomorrow. We'll talk about some recommendations from the podcast and preview our show in brief later on. Uh, we'll do that in the next segment right here on Kelly and Rumya. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Hmm. Thinking about it, folks, like, what the heck are we going to talk about that we can refer back to in this segment to other segments in this show because, again, there's so much worth going back to listen to. Now, the egotistical host is going to say, of course, that's normal, that's our show, so much good stuff. I'm going to let you start, Rum, as uh, I I have to think about it a little more. Uh, For folks who want to check out the podcast or one of the repeats of the program, what would you recommend as a segment not to miss? I think talking... Uh, headlines is what we're calling it with Grant Hardy, you know, where we talk health, lifestyle, accessibility, everything in between. And 
discussing crying. Now, we spent a lot of time on emotional crying and just putting our own uh, cryability on the table, but... Even tried to get Greg David to cry. Yes, yes, we did, and he tried to get us to cry. None of it worked. But anyway, the the other thing is, though, aside from emotional crying, there are other kinds of crying that he talked about, and really just how crying makes you stronger. Science-backed, physical strength, not really talking about just mental toughness. Uh, so that was a, a fascinating conversation, which you can revisit on the podcast. You know, I mentioned um, Cut for Time. We do that on Fridays where we look back at some of the segments. And right now, I really would like to revisit a couple of things said by our community reporter from St. John uh, today on the show. Uh, Marisa was talking to us about transit companies when there was the discussion at city councils and transit companies to get rid of the free pass system uh, for the low vision and blind community. So uh, I really think you should go back, check that out, ladies and gentlemen, because some of us, we remember how that went and the different things that were said. Oh, well, if we have to do cutbacks on routes, those that pass will be one of the, the ones to go. And I remember the Debates and discussions uh, or questions to drivers. How come that guy just flashes a pass and sits down? So there was a lot of that misunderstanding kind of stuff that went on when it came to things such as uh, the passes. So uh, maybe we'll revisit some of that on Cut for Time, but certainly you should check it out via the Kelly and Romeo podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcatcher and check it out. If you wouldn't mind, give us a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. If you're new to the show, really appreciate you being with us and, and joining us and uh, we really want to give a thanks to Rummy. I think before we move along, and that gets kind of lost in the shuffle, to everybody who had such a hand in making everything happen over the last couple of years as this was being discussed, as this was coming to fruition. Really thank all of you because there's been a lot of hard work, especially behind the scenes. Uh, while we were thumping along doing Kelly and, and company, uh, everything was being put in place and all these folks who, uh, who gathered together for us. So really big thank you, everybody. Uh, Paul Daniel, want to bring him in to tell us a little bit about what's going on tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Paul's one of the producers. Sir, good day to you. And what do you guys have hey, on the Kelly. show tomorrow? Uh, tomorrow's show, uh, you know, last year, Kelly, we had we all discovered food prices shooting up in a way that we hadn't experienced in decades. Well, tomorrow we'll speak to Dr. Sylvain Charlevoix, lead author of a report on what to expect for food prices in Canada this year. Sean Priest from Double Tap. Double Tap will, excuse me, Sean Priest from Double Tap will discuss Apple's rollout of a new AI narrated audiobook. And we'll examine what this means for audiobooks in general going forward. And our community reporter and movie reviewer, uh, Kim Thistle from St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador, will share recollections of her trip to Costa Rica that she took in late November. And she'll tell us all about, and she'll tell us all about Bruno the Bartender. That's a story <laughs> in itself. <laughs> That's great, Paul. Thanks a lot. AI, too, always a story. Paul Daniel, you, you too, sir. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, one of the producers over there at Now at Day Brown, find them as a podcast or check them out on AMI-TV at 9 a.m. in the morning and repeat it at uh, 5 p.m. Well, Ramya, a, a really great show as we were talking about. And as I was saying before, big thank you to so many people for the supports out there. I just wanted to give you a second in case there was something you wanted to throw in. Oh my gosh, yeah, this has just been the absolute biggest project in the last year or so, and you're right, so many people behind the scenes, because as we keep continuing what we're doing on air every day, which our team has been working hard at that as well, um, so much going behind the scenes to make it all happen uh, for launch. 
Okay. Well, we'll get into a bit of that tomorrow on the roundtable, as a matter of fact, when John Melville joins us. Of course, he's a VP of Content and uh, Development and Programming at AMI. What else, Ramya, we've got? We have accessible gaming, and guess who's coming on that one? Me, because I have um, some... Uh, what? Yeah, I know. You? Some demos of products that I've occurred over the years um, to make accessible tabletop gaming fun for me and for inclusive gaming with my sighted friends. Wow, that's amazing. Good for you. It'll be interesting to talk about the things that you've accrued in those games. And uh, I'll settle back and listen in. Okay, yes, as we said earlier in the week, learnings, man, always a good thing. Folks, we'll see you tomorrow. Fedora's off to you. Have a wonderful night. So as much as the new format of Kelly and Rumya, and when I say that, the fact that we're on the TV side, there's a lot more moving parts, simulcast on the audio side at AMI, but of course traditionally doing our podcast, and you hope everything cool there, and uh, that comes through for you folks who choose to consume the show that way. As a theater person, though, I can't help it. I'll share this with you, and I shouldn't. Let me just touch wood because I'm tempting fate. Okay. As a theater person, we used to try to figure out when was going to be our bad show during a run. The idea is you're all hyped. So if you have a bad dress rehearsal or tech dress uh, where you're just working out the components, then you do as close to a full run day, performance day kind of thing without an audience or maybe a very few people. If you had a terrible one of those, your opening night was going to be fantastic because everybody was going to be guarded. Well, I think kind of that's where we were. You know, we've, we had good dress rehearsals, don't get me wrong, um, but maybe not as much as we would have liked. But then again, you say to us, you got 15 days of rehearsals, we would have, oh, I feel better with 20, you know, no matter what. So now comes, okay, so we had a good first day. I think the second day, really, when you look at it in certain ways, was even better. But, you know, you're amped up for everything. Looking forward to doing the third, fourth, and so on. And we look back at saying we did over six and almost a half years of Kelly and Company, and we're just really starting that now. As much as we say, yeah, it's the same show, same contributors, we're continuing on. So in our minds, we are continuing on, but you're very aware of simulcasting and the differences that are there, the people added to your team, and, and, and so on. So with that being said, you start seeing it as, all right, we're, we're starting a run of a play. And this is like one of those Broadway plays, as far as we're concerned, that's going to be up there for another two, three, four years before they say, okay. Yeah, you know I'm exaggerating. Like, really? I mean, I'm talking another 15 years or something like that, at least. At least till I retire. Um, so that's what you hope. And now you look at, you can't sit here and, oh, I hope today isn't our bad show. You're going to have bad shows. You're going to have stuff where, uh-oh, things go wrong, where you're off. As I've talked to you about it, it's like running in mud sometimes. You just can't catch up to yourself, and something is, is sluggish and slowing you down for sure, and you're moving in slow motion. That's what it feels like. So with that being said, the one staple that we have that we can always rely on is damn well having fun. And even on your roughest days on the show, <laughs> our contributors, community reporters, my co-host, we just have fun. 
Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor. Fun.